everyone to all about windows phone insight podcast 139 recording this on tuesday the 19th of may 2015 i'm steve litchfield with me i have rafe blanford hello everybody yes it's been sort of 10 days since the last podcast as we uh, mentioned last time round, but it does give us an opportunity to talk through quite a few news items that have happened as well as uh, go over some of the content that steve's been posting to the site on his usual very busy schedule Thank you. And uh, just one thing we haven't posted to the site yet because I wasn't entirely convinced, Rafe. There was a, uh, a quote given to ZDNet or ZDNet, if you're in British, um, in America by one of the Microsoft guys saying that, oh, yes, Microsoft's going to take on full responsibility for uh, you know, getting the, the, the firmware updates out to all devices in the future. And I think this just doesn't ring true. Now, I, I know everyone and their dog have been reporting this on their blog and thing. And, and yes, it would be a great thing if it happened, but uh, I just can't see how you can completely keep the networks out of the loop when at least half the phones out there, smartphones out there, are actually locked to carriers. I mean, they're completely and utterly under the carrier's control. So any, any particular opinion? Uh, well, I, I agree with you here. This was actually something that was kind of mentioned at Microsoft's Build Conference that uh, there was a, a project, and I can't actually remember the code name, where Microsoft was going to try and take more control over the updates. I think what it's fair to say is with Windows uh, 10 onwards, it will kind of take more in-house. It's going to make more of a commitment to kind of push updates out for manufacturers and kind of encourage and manage the whole process, be a bit more proactive about it. But you're absolutely right to say that the carriers are still involved and still being certified. So it's not like Microsoft can unilaterally declare that it's suddenly going to take over updates, not let the operators in at all, because the operators, of course, would just say, well, we're not going to sell your phones then, um, which would be a bit of a problem for the uh, Lumia family. So I think this is uh, perhaps an over-enthusiastic spokesperson talking about something which absolutely is happening, but won't necessarily have this big impact that people are maybe expecting. You know, this happens just as much on the Android device, and it also happens on the iPhone. Of course, uh, Apple kind of has an advantage in that it's got fewer models, and it can sort of say to operators, we want to get this certified as soon as possible. And because it's Apple, the operators are generally a bit more willing to kind of jump when Apple tells them to. Um, of course, Microsoft, it doesn't sell so many devices. It has a greater range of models as well. And so it's got many more variants out there. So although people sort of talk about Apple sort of going around the carriers, in fact, they don't. They still have to get the certification, but they tend to hide that process by doing it all ahead of time and only then releasing to the operators. Now, I suspect that Apple probably gets an easier ride of it um, with the iPhone, and that's probably uh, an over-exaggeration to sort of say it's exactly the same for everybody. But uh, it does kind of come back to this point that Microsoft can't really unilaterally declare that they're just going to control all the updates, and especially, as you say, for those operator-locked devices where there can actually be quite a bit of customization going on and it's not just on the obvious things in terms of apps. It's often the settings in the phones and the way that the radios are tuned. So you know, different networks in different countries are set up in different ways. And so it is actually possible to change a number of variables kind of inside the uh, radio stack. And uh, my understanding from having spoken to engineers in the past about this can be as many as 20 or 30 kind of, if you like, profile configuration options that can change how a phone will talk to radio. And there are all sorts of bits around profiles and how it responds to various network messages as well that mean there's actually more customization than most people perhaps realize 
And so, as I say, operators will continue to be involved. I guess it does go back to our advice before that you're always probably better off buying a SIM-free phone. But of course, for most people, that's not always going to be an option. Yeah, yeah. So well, next time people say, well, AAWP, why haven't you covered this story? Just bear in mind that the internet is a bit of an echo chamber sometimes. And a story pops up and we kind of look for a second source. We look for confirmation. We look, we judge it by our common sense. And basically, consider the AAWP news feeds and flow feeds as a curation if you like. Um, if anything doesn't ring true then we won't just print it anyway, we will just try and get some sort of confirmation and print the stuff that we know to be true, which I think is probably the best way to go. Yeah, And as you say, you know, in, in this instance, there is a program going on but it's not going to have this big impact that people are talking about. I mean, I, I expect just as we've seen improvements with uh, Windows Phone 8 and 8.1, we'll probably see it again. And essentially, Microsoft is having to make more of a commitment to sort of take more control over the process and be a little more proactive. Whether that's born out in reality, well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Okay, let's move on with some software items and uh, other news. Uh, just firstly, very quickly, Ray, um, Hyperlapse Mobile was uh, launched by Microsoft in terms of a software release uh, this last week on uh, with a full product for Windows Phone, um, a full Hyperlapse, Mo- uh, Hyperlapse Pro for PC and also a beta for Android. Nothing for iPhone, interestingly, but uh, I just have a play with it. I put up a... a compilation video little steve hyperlapsing the area around him which is kind of, kind of fun to do and uh, I, I really enjoyed it i think you probably enjoyed watching it as well i did i had a bit of a chuckle to particularly on the pet section as the hamster was hyperlapsed to see steve uh, taking various forms of transport from cart well if you went on the train but it was video but this is one of those things that i think is really interesting i mean We've actually seen this kind of technology also, I think it was Instagram on um, iOS used the same name, Hyperlapse. Um, but Microsoft has taken this technology a bit further, as you said, it's sort of more broadly available. Uh, part of me sort of wonders, is this a bit of a gimmick? But actually, you know, as a video effect and just as a piece of technology and the way it works, kind of effectively taking a video and then stabilizing the whole thing. And so you get away from those horrible jerky mobile phone videos to something that feels a lot smoother and also avoids you having to sit through five minutes of Steve's walk around the block or whatever it happens (laughs) to be. Um, But, you know, hugely clever in terms of uh, how it all works because what's effectively happening is some of the jerk is being taken out by looking at the frame alignment between individual frames of video and then trying to smooth that out and pick out presumably the ones to to give this smoother effect. Um, Actually, as a way of sort of doing a quick demo of a, an area like walking around a trade show or maybe, you know, when you're on holiday, you want to show off something that you saw. I think it's a really clever way of capturing a moment. And I'm definitely in favor of these things that move away from just the traditional, you know, standard video or the standard photo. And, you know, we've seen, I guess, things like living images or uh, Zoe on the HTC products. Uh, as well as all the other bits of uh, computational photography that's been going on. And I guess even the, you know, the animated GIFs that um, some of the uh, Nokia now, the Microsoft software producers, all all, all add to that. But Hyperlapse is just one that I, I think has an extra cool factor maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And we should mention that uh, even though this does some frame alignment, and basically keeps things more stable 
one if you just tried to speed, literally speed up a video. And there is the Hyperlapse Pro, which they talked about, which we've seen some incredibly cool demos of online. And that's all produced on a PC and with painstaking care and, and actually involves, you know, m mapping the terrain you're moving through videos. It involves still shots to, to fill in gaps in the video as, as the, the camera line moves around. It's a very, very sophisticated process. There, there was a, a making of video that went up about, uh, it's about two months ago, and it was just like seven stages involving a professional's attention at each stage. But the end result is incredibly smooth, as if you were flying a super slow, f slow-mo, I don't know, dr drone through a, a mountain landscape. It was unbelievable. But uh, the Hyperlapse Pro on the PC is a different product. This this mobile version is kind of a kind of a quick and dirty thing. It only shoots a maximum of 720p, and that's even on the higher spec Windows phones. There are clearly some some major major computation going on behind the scenes. The actual rendering rate is actually isn't uh, that slow. It was, it's just a bit slower than real time on the Snapdragon. 800 and the Lumia 930. So for as I was doing in my demo video there, the, the, the video ended up at about uh, two minutes or so. I was actually wandering around and driving for about 20 to 25 minutes, and it took about 10 minutes in um, Microsoft's Movie Creator on the phone to put it together. And that was all compiled, um, by the way, actually using that Windows Phone application of Microsoft. So it's not only shot in Hyperlapse Mobile, it was then edited in Movie Creator, a companion beta product, if you like, um, and then just uploaded to YouTube. So I think it was a real success story for Windows Phone all round. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that you can do that with a phone. I mean, we've seen them come on so much. I can remember, I think it was the 3650, which was a Symbian device, was one of the very first uh, phones that was capable of shooting video. And it was a, a, a tiny sort of VGA or perhaps even smaller size. And that was a pretty wow moment. And, you know, obviously come on, you know, I guess it's getting on for uh, 12 or 13 years now. And to get to the point where you can do that level of movie production, and we've seen plenty of, uh, you know, films and short videos be produced by to kind of professional standard then shown off at festivals from some of the uh, Lumia range and also on the iPhone and some of the high-end Android devices as well. And this is just one more step down that path. But uh, the thing that's interesting for me about this is, is it's very accessible and anybody can have a go and use this and potentially put together a little you know, video highlights clip of their stuff with, without too much effort. And I recently did it for a, a project that I was working on, and it was just, you know, I'd done some still video, so, sorry, still shots and done some video, then cut it all together and came up with something that basically was a 60-second summary of the project and it was incredibly easy to do and previously that would have taken me a couple of hours on a desktop video package and yeah it was a bit rough and ready but it, it, it worked and I did it just while sort of sitting in the audience listening to the last part of the summary of the day in sort of 10-15 minutes uh, and as you mentioned there the fact that Hyperlapse pretty much renders in real time to me was really impressive but yes uh, the kind of the Superman mode that you get on Hyperlapse Pro is is truly uh, breathtaking. I mean, we had something else come out this week, uh, not mobile related at all, but it was uh, Google with, along with the university basically doing time-lapse videos based on tourist pictures of landmarks taken over a long period of time because, of course, everyone takes the same kind of uh, shots at the same building or the same waterfall or the same glacier. They can then turn them into time-lapse videos. And this kind of uh, technology... It's great when you can still have your breath taken away and just go, wow, that's impressive stuff. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I still love uh, talking and writing about mobile tech. Yeah, talking about taking your breath away, you mentioned there you, you were guessing that the Nokia 3650 back in 2004 was taking VGA videos. You wish, Rafe, VGA <laughs> video didn't come around until 2006. Oops. The 3650 in 2004 was shooting, I can't even remember the name for it, 176 by 144 pixel 
videos, which wow. today would represent the, the bottom quarter inch of a standard video frame. <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't that amazing? Yeah, I think it was QCIF format or, or something, and it was at a pretty low frame rate. The, the kind of quality was appalling. But uh, as I said, I remember being impressed by it at the time, but clearly uh, I was easily impressed back then. Yeah, and now people actually moan at me, Steve. When are you going to shoot your phone show in, in QHD or, or 4K or something? And I think, goodness me, at 1080p, you can see every last pimple on my face. I do not want to go any higher. Thank you very much. I think we probably have. <laughs> I think 1080p probably is as far as you need to go, certainly for for end-user consumer capture. And I think 4K capture is useful for doing these short bursts that we've mentioned in the past, for doing looming moments. And I've got a feature coming up on that on the site. But I think for general purpose, here's my holiday video of dad surfing the sea or something. You really do not need 4K. And I still don't think enough people really have the playback equipment to uh, handle it anyway. Yeah, um, it, it does feel like, you know, just the, the quality of the cameras at shooting 4K, you're probably better off putting more effort into getting the 28, 1080p output right. I mean, I'm sure it will come in time, but... You know, it's a bit like the megapixel race on on the you know still photos. You know, there's always going to be a fierce debate about what exactly right and what people prefer. And of course, if you've got a 4K uh, equipment, you know that's it's a good thing. And I and I will admit that I can see the difference. But as you say, for that kind of consumer capture, I, I'm not sure some of the pain points that come with it around the size of the files and all the processing that goes with that is necessarily worth it at this point in time. Maybe uh, I'll look back in 20 years and tell myself off for having that attitude when I'm I'm watching on my 24K TV or whatever it happens to be by then. But uh, for now, 1080p uh, for me, just like you, is perfectly sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on. We've got loads to get through, Rafe. Um, um, Windows 10, the continuing story, and Microsoft has been talking about it. It's volunteered details of how the OS will be broken down in terms of distribution and classification. And I, I kind of thought, we all kind of naively thought that it would just be Windows 10, one OS, uh, one interface that kind of scaled down, up and down a bit, depending on form factor. But as ever, there are um, classifications, which perhaps should be referred to as internal classifications, Rafe. I mean, they're, they're talking about Windows 10 Home, Windows 10 Mobile, obviously for phones, Windows 10 Pro, Windows 10 Enterprise, Windows 10 Education, Windows 10 Mobile Enterprise. And we put a whole list of them in the story, which we'll link to in the show notes. But I guess my contention really is that most people will actually not need to bother. Most people will have a version of Windows on their desktop, on their tablet, on their phone. In each case, they will get upgraded to something that will be Windows 10 with the appropriate slight tweaks to the interface and slight tweaks to the underlying modules. I don't think this is really anything the end user actually needs to worry about at all. I think that's probably right. I mean, we've seen the same thing happen with uh, desktop Windows over and over again. I think it's one of the things that Microsoft likes doing. It and, uh, Essentially, these are different variants aimed at different market categories. Um, it's maybe just worth spending a bit of time on the mobile-specific bit, and that's Windows 10 Mobile and then Windows 10 Mobile Enterprise, the latter of which is aimed at business customers, obviously, um, and it's going to be on smartphones and small tablets. And when they say small tablets, they're basically 7-inch uh, and below. Um, and it's going to be available to the volume licensing companies. So that means people who are on Microsoft's existing kind of enterprise agreements. Um, it looks like it's going to have a few extra features but the main thing is really around the device management capabilities kind of being baked in and then the, those companies being able to control the updates. It's not entirely clear whether that will be kind of the platform specific stuff or it's also around apps. But I think it's really just having the kind of the full suite of management tools. I mean, Microsoft has a product called Intune that allows you to do that management of devices. And, and what I suspect it means is it will allow you know, uh, more control over the deployment of updates as well as kind of the custom 
rollout that a, a company may choose to put on the device. You know, they'll have 10 apps that they want all of their mobile workforce have access to, and then they might want to have policy updates that disable certain functionality, for example, the camera. Um, but as you say, as far as the consumer is concerned, there is just this one version uh, for mobile. And then on, on the desktop and on tablets, we've always actually had a bit of a distinction between home and pro, depending uh, what exact features that you get. And so you know, a, a, a lot of people will go, oh, I want to get Windows 10 Pro. Uh, but actually some of the things that you, you get from that, you know, it, it's <laughs> going to be around encryption and business yeah. data and sort of support and um, some of the cloud stuff. We don't know the full breakdown of all of this yet, but as you say, not worry about it. But I think the big news really is that it's going to be called Windows 10 Mobile. It's kind of a bit of a return to the roots. Uh, I'm not sure I remember Windows Mobile as a brand name with uh, a great amount of fondness, if I'm completely honest. I would have kind of rather seen Windows Phone continue. And you know, if, if it had to be called Windows 10 Phone, so be it. But I suspect this reflects the fact that it's not just going to be phones. It's also going to be on these uh, small tablet devices. And we may well see an expansion of what's regarded as a Windows 10 mobile device even broader in time. Um, but as I say, uh, uh, when I I hear the words Windows Mobile, I think of a, a little start thing somewhere in the bottom corner or the middle bottom of the device. And <laughs> it, it, it wasn't my favourite mobile platform, if I'm completely honest. I thought you were too young to remember that, Ray. Well, uh, it's sort of in my, you know, I, I was very young at the time. It's basically, <laughs> let, let's be honest, it was my teenage years. Um and I don't remember the beginnings of it, but I sort of remember the end of it with, particularly as it went into Windows Mobile 6 and when there was sort of all kinds of different versions and variants, there was sort of a smartphone edition and PDA edition. And actually, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. Yeah. Pocket PC edition, I think it was actually. Uh, and actually quite significant differences b- between the two of them. And, you know, there was a bit of a full start with, a, I think, a product code named Photon, which is kind of eventually what Windows Phone 7 uh, became, but that was a, a pretty, uh, pretty bad chapter in Microsoft's mobile story when there was sort of fits and starts and they're trying to apply desktop windows onto, onto smartphones. And they were very, very soundly beaten by Symbian and the alliance that was built up around that. And, uh, you know, restarted from scratch. And so I suspect it's a period that Microsoft would rather forget, but. I guess if I'm honest, uh, Windows 10 Mobile does kind of make sense because it's the most generic kind of naming and branding that you could give it. And probably uh, those of us who were scarred by uh, Windows Mobile first time round are probably in the minority. Most people have forgotten about it. If you think we're, we were talking about, you know, smartphones making up a tiny fraction of mobile phones, probably just, uh, you know, a half percent or something like that, people would have experienced Windows Mobile compared to smartphones now, which, you know, here in the UK, in the US and other markets are sort of approaching 75, 80% of, uh, you know, the install base and actually the vast majority of phones now sold in the UK, something like 90% are smartphones, um, of which admittedly Windows Phone is actually a small proportion, still around 10% here in the UK. Yeah. I wonder whether it's worth us getting the domain all about windows10mobile.com. Maybe well, you've already thought of that. Well, well <laughs> I've already got all about Windows Mobile just to be on the safe side. Um, we'll have to decide at some future point whether we're going to do the, the switch over domain um, as far as web is concerned. It can be a bit complicated in keeping uh, yeah. getting everyone up to date and all the the Google rankings that go with that. So uh, we'll wait and see on that one. I think it's uh, for for us actually. You know, we've said before that even with Windows 10, we're going to maintain that phone focus. 
because uh, otherwise it ends up getting very broad and we will bring in yeah. the other bits of windows where it makes sense to do so i mean i do think increasingly people will have this experience right across but there's always going to be i think added interest in phones because they are the the personal devices that are uh, the kind of the core of people's you know, digital experience um but yeah, we'll, we'll always have room for review on that sort of thing. So uh, kind of watch your space, I guess. Yeah. And talking of Windows 10, there was a new Insiders build came out in the last seven days or so, which I put on the 6.30 and also one of my 10.20s, right, for the first time. Mm. And uh, I, I wasn't actually that impressed. I mean, I, I, I know I think this is, we're in a phase of the Insiders program where they're really trying to, to leap ahead, not just, you know, incremental improvements. They're trying to leap ahead. They've got the, the first version of the, these new Office applications for touch which do work and you know the whole ribbon interface and everything i was able to edit uh, word and excel and powerpoint files but there are whole gaps in the ui here and there there are duplications in terms of um the old versions of the, the app like the old store and then the new version of the store and the new store doesn't work right work right quite yet so uh, this particular build was problematic it's certainly not being rolled out to the slow ring people for obvious reasons you really have to be a, an enthusiast to embrace this particular build and try and live with it because there's just so many bits you think well that's that's not right that's not finished yet and it obviously isn't i would almost recommend to people as they're playing with these insider previews that having flashed each individual preview and obviously upgraded in place your data still there and your settings are still there and i would actually say do a hard reset after each one so that you approach each build with the the applications and data and settings and layout that microsoft wanted you to wanted you to see at the point where they design it back back in redmond um maybe that's slightly drastic but presumably people aren't using this on their their day-to-day phone anyway well, if they are, they they have my admiration because, as you say, <laughs> it, it, it's not exactly pretty at the moment. And it's it's not just that there's holes in it. Actually, the performance is, is pretty dire as well in a lot of the kind of when the apps are starting up. Now, you'd expect this in, a, in kind of an early alpha. And it's just worth bearing in mind, although we originally talked about Windows 10 Mobile arriving sometime in the summer, it's actually uh, Microsoft never committed to a date and it looks like it's actually going to be later than that. It's going to come out after kind of the Windows 10 desktop versions. Uh, that won't surprise anyone who's been trying these insider builds. You know, this mobile version is certainly behind the desktop version in terms of uh, product readiness. So I think it could be be quite a while. Nonetheless, I think this was quite an exciting build because, as you you said there, you do actually get to try out the universal Office apps. This is because you get access to kind of the new Windows Store, not the phone-specific version, but kind of the universal app store. Um, I still think there's a bit of work maybe to do on the UI and how you interact with these um, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint apps. But the level of functionality that you do have available through them, you know, just as in the iPhone and the Android versions that are now available, are you know streaks ahead of what's currently available from Office on Windows Phone 8.1. So it's kind of exciting to see that happening. Um, so I, I was kind of excited to be able to try those out. Also kind of uh, interesting was the new Xbox app, giving you an idea of how that's going to to look you know as a universal app. And I suppose the one that probably caught my eye more was the Music Preview app, which now includes the ability to uh, have songs that you've got stored on OneDrive. And so getting to that cloud uh, promise on music, which it seems like it's been coming for a long, long time. But um, it, it didn't work perfectly reliably for me. But as I said, this is inside the program, so you kind of expect it to be uh, a little bit tricky. Also interesting, I don't know whether you checked this out, was the new camera app, Steve. Um, 
Microsoft specifically called this out as not being as fully featured on the high-end devices as Lumia Camera. But it's interesting to see what is currently the kind of state-of-the-art Lumia Camera translates into this new camera app much more closely. So there's a, instead of rich capture, there's actually an HDR mode. So it's kind of a simpler version of some of those advanced Lumia features. But as we predicted, kind of a lot of that experience is coming into the new uh, camera app. So that was interesting as well. Also seeing the new uh, video preview app as well. Um, and the, uh, we should probably mention a lot of these apps kind of exist alongside their existing uh, partners in some cases. And so uh, the, the video app's interesting. I mean, it's for me at least, because it allows the idea of starting playback on one device, then resuming it at the same place on another device. And this works between uh, the phone and then Windows 10 on a tablet or on a PC, or indeed on a, an Xbox as well, although I haven't been able to test that out. But that kind of uh, seamless moving between devices and between platforms is one of the big promises of Windows 10. And we're starting to see some of these experiences that uh, are going to be core to that offering you know, really get joined up. And to me, that's really interesting. Um, the, the nearest I can sort of get to it for people who are currently using Windows Phone 8.1 is the way that you'll see things like your um, your personalized start screen come across between devices. But actually, the better example is perhaps Internet Explorer, where you'll have tabs open on the phone, and then you'll be able to see them in Internet Explorer on Windows 8. Uh, on a tablet or on a PC, and actually you can see the you know, the desktop and tablet tabs in the phone version of Internet Explorer as well. Uh, that's something I use regularly, and actually it's that kind of attitude is going to come to a lot of the other applications, not least the Office apps. I mean, I was opened up the preview version of Word, for example, and was pleasantly surprised to see the Word document that I'd just been working on right at the top of the recent docs list. You know, I shouldn't have been because it's all tied in with OneDrive and Office 365, but uh, that gave me an idea with my personal data, you know, instead of just talking about it as a kind of vague concept, it's actually something I got to experience. And despite all the irritations, you know, the inconsistencies, the duplications, the poor performance of the inside of the build, which means I really wouldn't recommend this. E even if you're enthusiastic, you know, this is uh, hard to sort of uh, get on with. And it's definitely something you want on your kind of second or third device, not your main day-to-day -day device. It was still interesting enough for me to go, hmm, I kind of really want to see the final version of Windows 10 Mobile. Yeah, absolutely. Just a few notes there. The uh, the camera app, yes, that's I had didn't actually change for this Insiders preview. They they they'd introduced ah, it for okay. the previous one, and I did check the version numbers, and it was the same. Yes, essentially they've taken uh, the core of the code from Lumia Camera and the existing Windows Phone Camera, and kind of merged it together to get the best of the interface ideas and the best of the features from Lumia Camera Five, but obviously broadened out across the whole platform. I think there's a good at least a couple more versions of that before that that particular app is fully ready but yeah oh, yes, it does mean that the, the this rich capture idea will come to virtually every windows phone i suspect certainly every windows 10 compatible phone in the next uh, two or three months which is good to see because it's a really useful feature um one other note is that the xbox music rafe i didn't know they turned so they switched that on about uh, six weeks ago for um windows phone 8.1 so if you you'll actually find now that if you put your music in OneDrive in a music folder you can turn it on in the xbox music app and you can actually stream all your music from the cloud that actually exists right now oh well having put some music on this specifically to test it on windows uh on this insider bill i'll now have to test it on the on my 8.1 <laughs> device of course i was reading through the change notes thought, oh i want to try everything that's new and uh, steve's just proved that i'm clearly not following the news closely enough on on 8.1 so i should perhaps you get more excited about <laughs> what i've already got but then i guess the grass is greener 
always greener on the other side of the fence. Indeed. And the aphorisms are even more appropriate on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, uh, very briefly, um, Pocket Cast. We did mention this in last week's podcast. Um, as a, a brand new uh, podcatcher from the, uh, the very highly successful franchise over on Android and iOS, I've been using Pocket Cast on my Android devices for one of three, four years now. Really, really slick, um, very mature interface. And it's come over more or less as is on Windows Phone. I gave it a couple of weeks just in case they did an update. I did notice it was a bit buggy and glitchy. Um, but I've actually been quite impressed. It's a really clean interface. The, it, the, the idea of having all your podcasts available in chronological order are you when you look at the main lists for example the audio list in pocket casts you're seeing everything in the order from the newest at the top down to the oldest and you can scroll back as far as you want and for each of those um it shows you exactly how far you've got within each one on each platform because it's c- completely synchronized via the developer server across device and across platforms. So even if you've got Pocket Casts on three different Android phones, four different Windows phones, two iPhones, if you start listening to a podcast on one of those, that playback position will get synchronized across all the other clients. So you can literally pick and pick up and drop tablets and phones and even desktops because it works via the web as well. Um, and, and everything stays in perfect step. And it's such a wonderful idea. You wonder why other people haven't done it. I guess because the developer has got to pay for a server and all the costs of maintaining and developing that. And that's partly why Pocket Casts, you know, is one of the more expensive podcatchers. But it's a glitches in early glitches and early oddities apart. Um, there are a few. Um, I would say it's a really solid first version. And I can't wait for Pocket Casts to really become bug free and mature. And then it just be, will be the standout, even perhaps beating our beloved podcast lounge rave oh, that's interesting because uh, i've been very loyal to podcast lounge but i sounds like i'm gonna have to give pocket cast a go because i have to admit while i'm not mr steve litchfield change my device more often than i have hot dinners i do <laughs> regularly switch between devices and actually going in particular between different platforms can be a bit of a pain and uh, you know a lot of the podcasts i listen to you know can get a bit over long and i, I would say to my favorite podcasters please try and keep it to 45 minutes or under but um some people like to talk almost as much as I do. Uh, and so they, sometimes you're listening <laughs> to an hour and a half podcast. And, you know, I, I've started on one device. It's not that the batteries run out. I've just picked up a different device or, you know, I've got the, I've been doing something with it. Um, and I regularly switch between the, the three main platforms. And, you know, depending on where I am, I've got easier access to one device or not in my pocket or where the SIM happens to be living. So yes, that's a, a great feature. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I used to always be a little bit skeptical about this kind of cloud lifestyle with everything sinking back and forth. But the more you use it, the more you start to appreciate it and realize how convenient it is. And I think probably the change for me has come from, it used to be a case that I was either on a desktop PC or I was on my smartphone. But now, you know, I've got a, uh, a desktop, which I still regularly use. In fact, there's two different ones, depending on which location I'm in. Then there's a, a laptop. And actually, again, there's can be more than one of those because there's a, a Surface, which also uses a tablet, and then more than one phone on the go. And so being able to get all my files that get the same sort of music and you know, things like this podcast is absolutely essential. And I would really miss it if I had to try and go back to the nightmare of syncing things between different devices. Or I kind of always used to have this attitude, the smartphone with one device and the PC with another. But increasingly now, now, I just regard them as the same, knowing that I'll be able to get at the files that I need. Uh, it haven't quite got there on the app situation, but can the uh, rise of universal apps does start to kind of give me hope for that as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So do go and check out my review on the site, which is currently still at the top of the left-hand side, but it won't be for long. Um, also impressive on the application front. Now, I had a few glitches in this at first, but uh, the developer was really uh, first class at uh, sorting me out. Um, TubeCast Pro Ray. I don't know whether you've played with this. We've mentioned it a, a, quite a few months ago on, on this podcast. Um, what I hadn't realized is that it's bit, apart from the various updates and all the bug fixes and whatever, um, it now supports, and this is a, a YouTube client for Windows Phone, which supports casting your video to smart TVs, the Xbox 360, Xbox One, um, EasyCast, whatever that is, XBMC, Internet Boxes, which presumably is some kind of standard, Chromecast, of course, Roku, which I believe is an American thing mainly, Google TV, Fire Stick, which is the Amazon um, standard, Apple TV, the PS4, and it, and it just goes on. And it, they even include an etc. at the end of the list. So what I thought... Uh, was a YouTube client that basically was tied to Google Chromecast if you want to actually share the video. It turns out this is a whole stack of hardware this now supports, and it's kind of crept under my radar. Um, I, I use it uh, almost every day for t- talking to the Chromecast, and uh, after this, now this glitch is being sorted out with a developer. I think it's just working very reliably, and uh, I, just, I can't praise it highly enough. Um, so, and it's developing with a, a major update almost every single month. So TubeCast Pro, I raise it for your attention, Rafe. Well, yes, I've been using this uh, with a Chromecast, but actually having recently picked up a, a Fire Stick just to kind of play with that bit of technology, I'm going to have a have to have a, a revisit of it. Most of the time, I have to admit, I use the built-in uh, Miracast um, for communicating with my TV. I'm sort of fortunate that it's built into the one I have. Um, but of course, you're not always in that situation, and particularly when you go to hotel rooms or indeed friends' houses. You know, So that ability to get onto other things just from a technical point of view to support those range of standards which believe me you know it it isn't like there's one standard you can pick up all these devices you you will need to do testing for each specific device and uh, there's glitchy implementations of dlna or miracast or whatever the technology happens to be so yeah i think uh, a round of applause for the developer and certainly if you use this regularly it's well worth getting the tubecast pro version which is a a paid for app in the app store but also credit to the developer providing a a free version for those who just want to use it once in a while so yeah i I agree with you really great app this Uh, okay uh, just a a few discussion points before we close up now i I wrote a a feature rafe is more an excuse for doing some nice photographs at the 640xl um but the the title was and you'll never guess the uh the the content of the feature but the title was the ever-moving goalpost the 640xl and why the term phablet is going away and as the title suggests you know, the fact that you can use the 640XL so well for, for example, connecting via Bluetooth with a Bluetooth keyboard um, as, as, as supported in Windows Phone 8.1 Update 2. So you can turn it in kind of a mini laptop mode. You can, of course, watch, you know, movies and uh, Netflix and so forth on that nice, large, incredibly high contrast screen. My, my, my thesis, Rafe, was that we're now using these devices with this sort of screen size for whole new uses that weren't even thought about three, four, five years ago. Um, and certainly people started calling the term phablet because they were trying to imagine them the hybrid of a phone and tablet. But I just think they're phones and they're big phones and the the, 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 the definition of a phone is changing before our very eyes. I, I think that's right. I mean, I've never been fond of the portmanteau uh, phablet, which is obviously combo- combining phone and tablet and there is a kind of chicken and egg question here you know what came first was it the kind of the user behavior of certain types of content or was it the fact that these devices existed that started promoting the behavior more and i I actually think it's the the latter one of those that you know once you get a bigger screen the ability to 
watch video comfortably or to do kind of productivity related tasks definitely goes up and it, it's notable that actually um, when you look in certain segments it's it's video uh, or it's because it's a bigger screen enabling you to have bigger text but increasingly now we're also seeing these devices come into the enterprise market and the 640 xl is actually a good example of this as well as the 1320 popular with businesses looking to buy a device to enable their uh, workforce to do stuff productivity and it's mainly we're talking office applications here on the go but it can be you know line of business applications as well and so i, I think you're right that the norm is changing you know, in, in that sense you know phablets aren't going away or the term won't go away i think it will still be popular um, but very much so i think what's considered average for a phone is increasingly moving into phablet territory and actually i think a sign of this is the fact that some people are choosing to define phablets now as you know 5.5 inches to 7 inches you know i.e the the upper end of the smartphone in terms of screen size and you know five inches has almost become standard but it wasn't that long ago where five inches was considered a big phone it was considered uh, a phablet and actually i was looking back at some of the definitions and always to get some some stats around this because uh, now in some markets as many as 40 percent of the phones um sort of sitting out there are you know five inches in a big it, uh, above in most most places it's between 20 and 30 percent but certainly of the phones being sold that figure is a lot high you know the install base is always going to lag behind a bit um but you look at something like the new iphone you look at most of the high-end android device and similar for the windows phone devices they're five inches or bigger uh, there is an interesting debate to be had is you know, will it stick around that five inches or, or will it sneak up a bit towards you know 5.3 5.5 inches or whatever and i'd be interested to get your opinion on that because uh, for me five inches is actually about as big as i want to go because that's the limit for me of of not one-handed usage universally but certainly being able to control the phone comfortably with one hand for you know maybe half the time and because i still do use two hands a lot of the time but once it starts getting bigger than that it for me it becomes a bit unwieldy now i do have perhaps smaller hands than some um but is there a, a point at which getting bigger becomes unacceptable for you of course there is and there is for everybody but i the 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 diminishing of bezels and the the cleverness in terms of the sculpting the form factor shouldn't be underestimated i was playing mm. a few weeks ago and i've still got one here the lg g4 which was a recent launch in the android world with a 5.5 inch screen so only about 0.2 of an inch smaller than the lumia 640 xl and yet i, I can wrap my hand completely my my middle finger and my thumb round the device and they can touch in other words that's my 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 yardstick and i haven't got particularly large hands um it, i can grip that hat that phone very securely i can almost I say I can use it one-handed if it, with care around the around the touch interface, and it has a 5.5-inch screen. So, with the diminishing of bezels and a bit of clever design, Rafe, I think we can get up to about five and a half inches, which is quite stunning, really, if you think about it. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I mean, it'll be kind of intriguing to see uh, what Microsoft can come up with because presumably that the 940 and what maybe yeah. the 940 XL might start setting new grammar because it will be the high end phones that kind of do the most to get rid of the bezel and make it comfortable to hold in the hand. I mean, I I've been looking at the uh, 640 XL, which of course uh, I think it's 5.7 inches. 
that yeah. for me is just a bit too big. Uh, but also it's a, a relatively low end or it's mid tier device. And so there's less being done with the shaping and the sort of the bezels. But I w- will say, yes, that some of the phones do feel a, a lot smaller. Um, it, it, it's interesting. I'm perhaps maybe a little more conservative than you on this. I'd say, you know, 5.2, 5.3 inches, but I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to, you know, be proved wrong. And certainly I, I didn't ever have an expectation it would get to, to that size. And, uh, you know, you do wonder what happens after that, because I, I do think you come up against a, a natural barrier and there's only you know, after that, we then have to start wondering about more curved screens. Certainly the uh, S6 edges provoked quite a bit of interest there. And that does actually make it feel a bit small in the hand, kind of to what you're talking about there. But of course, then it then becomes about flexible screens, which is still a while off. So I wonder where the attention will shift next, because I think actually this increasing size of smartphone increasing screen size and sort of resolution related to it has been kind of one of the stories of hardware improvements in in the last little while and you know we've had it feels like cameras have started to get to a plateau as well we did a recent 361 podcast talking about magic materials and where we thought innovation would go next and if you're interested in kind of some of the speculation that's kind of worth a listen to because don't get me wrong i don't think everything's going to suddenly stop and there won't be anything new and exciting to talk about but some of the things that we have been focusing on in the last few years will perhaps you know change and so you know i guess it's good for the podcast too because we have some other topics to talk about <laughs> you mentioned cameras there i i can't let this podcast slide by without a reference that i have been testing <laughs> <laughs> the uh, both the nokia uh, Lumia 930, the 1020, and the 808 PureView from the Symbian world, both, all three of those against the LG G4, the latest and greatest in the Android world. And I have to say the G4 camera is pretty special. It's, is it partly the fact that it's LG and they, they're, they're particular imaging wizards, maybe? I think maybe it's just the advance of technology, Rafe. It's, it's been amazing how, if you think back to that 3650 camera you mentioned earlier, and how rubbish, absolute rubbish the photos and video were, and how far we went from there to the N95 and... And from there, how far we went to the N8, the A to eight, and into the Windows world with the 1020. Um, it's incredible how far we've come. The, the sensors have become larger, uh, far more sensitive. The backside illumination, for example. And even then, they've managed to really crank up the gain it within per pixel and reduce the noise per pixel. The image processing, the intelligence in the algorithms is massively uh, higher. That The processing power that dedicated to reducing noise and improving the, the images, that's also gone up exponentially. Uh, and every single year, we are getting higher and higher performing cameras. Now, there will be a natural plateau, which is why the human eye physically can't spot any difference anymore. I think we're kind of at that point. I made the um, point in my articles. Look, come on. I'm having to look at the pixel level in 16 megapixel um, images here. And you'd, you'd have to literally blow it up to the side of a wall before you're actually seeing the pixels with your naked eye. Um, so I really was being incredibly picky. But uh, even looking that closely, I was impressed. That I, I suspected the G4 overall, I think, probably exceeds you know, the Xenon flash use case apart exceeds the 808 and the 1020 and certainly the 930, which is a, a real statement that the, the competition ha- has caught up. And I'm just, everyone's just longing for a, a Microsoft to hit back hard with a Lumia 940 camera, which can equal the G4 or maybe even exceed it. Exceed it. Yeah, I mean, certainly looking through the comparison, I'll say that the, the G4, uh, as you say, it's worth noting that this is at the pixel level detail. And if you kind of zoom out to what you might call normal looking at level, you're going to be hard pressed to pick out many of the differences unless you know what you're looking for. And so uh, 
I mean, when I talked about plateauing, uh, I think that's partly from a consumer point of view in terms of can you see a real difference? And we're, I guess we're getting into the realms of uh, marginal gains. Um, but like you said, it does make you anticipate what's coming next. Because I guess if you think particularly about the specifically to the Lumia devices, you know, we're actually going back to the, the 1520, which is now getting on for a year and a half old. Um, and so it's it's not a kind of a recent device in terms of what the top end uh, Microsoft camera module is in its Lumia devices. And so you do wonder what 18 months of development work will have done to that. I, I would suggest that the LG4 is kind of the first of a next generation. Where you draw that generational divide is always going to be up for debate. But uh, LG have sort of in recent years pushed the boundaries a bit. And as you say, they've been good on the, the processing side as well. So that kind of generational leap yeah, like you say, all the other manufacturers are, are going to follow suit. They're, they are using essentially the same bits of uh, hardware a lot of the time and, of course, you know, putting the same amount of money and effort into software. But, yes, I think we can probably say that LG are probably the current uh, smartphone imaging champs, albeit very closely followed by the likes of uh, Apple and Microsoft and, indeed, a, a number of others as well. I think Samsung would have to be uh, given a shout for some of its efforts uh, because I, I think yeah. arguably the Note 4 was actually one of the uh, champs from last year. That certainly got very close to the top-end devices, uh, just as the iPhone 6 did when it came out. And uh, I would actually say, if you look at these now, that probably the degree of subjectivity choosing between these devices has a far bigger variation than something you can kind of scientifically come up with and what i mean by that is personal <laughs> preference is probably going to play a far bigger role than which one is technically better so you might go yes i agree steve the the lg g4 is better but i just prefer the way that the samsung does the processing because i like that extra bounce in my colors i think that's perfectly perfectly reasonable thing to say i think actually that kind of uh, difference in kind of the choices that each of the manufacturers makes around how it's doing you know, the color balance or the processing will probably have a bigger impact on which one someone prefers than the actual kind of nitty gritty of the technical detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, uh, the, the software as well. And I, I still maintain that the Lumia Moments facility where you can take four, this 4K video and take eight megapixel stills, which is still, as far as I can, I can see, unique in the 2015 world because Samsung had this last year on the Note 4, uh, the ability to grab frames from the 4K video and it dropped it for the current generation of devices. The S6 and S6 Edge don't, do not have it. It's bizarre. The LG G4 takes fine 4K video, incredible, incredibly crisp video, but you can't take stills from it you have to rely on a really really clunky and glitchy third-party application whereas the uh, microsoft stroke nokia have this built in and the, i find this lumia moments facility really really useful i use it every single weekend taking photographs of family and i've got some astonishing astonishing family snapshots um uh, also just to mention um we were talking about the possible lumia 940 there and i was i've talked in the past about wanting to have xenon flash we talked in the past that maybe triple led might be enough and uh, just thinking of this this improvement in sensor sensitivity rafe and and the advances made for the likes of the lg g4 and 2015 camera sensors camera modules uh, oas etc maybe we can get to the point with it with three really bright leds there will be enough light that you'll be and and the sensor will be so sensitive that you will actually be able to take reasonably crisp shots even in semi-darkness at parties and discos and clubs and events without needing needing xenon for the first time ever so maybe the technology at the sensor level is actually coming up to meet the point where xenon isn't actually needed after all I, I can't believe that you're recanting from your the Xenon heresy. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, 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 I agree. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it will be a bit of a, a, a few more steps before we kind of get there to keep everyone happy. But of course, each time it's going to get that little bit closer. 
Uh, yeah. But I, I, yeah, and I'd also reinforce what you said about the software. You know, it's kind of, it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but it's actually the photo that you manage to capture rather than the one that you might be able to theoretically capture that matters. Cause you know, these are, it's really about capturing memories for most people. And just cause you can theoretically get, I mean, it's the reason that the uh, 808, despite being probably, or, or certainly until recently, the very best technically is probably not the device for most people to choose quite leaving aside all the other bits of the, the the smartphone just thinking purely in camera terms it was a bit slow in terms of the shot to shot time and startup time and getting what you wanted um, and so you you had to work quite hard to get the very best out of it the more recent device of course hold your hand extensively and yes uh, another shout for for Lumia moments I was taking some video of uh, little uh, godlings swimming around on a lake and being gossing so they wouldn't stay still and i was sort of getting a bit frustrated and i thought ah inspiration struck held down the uh, camera capture button grabbed about 10 seconds of video and was then able to extract one perfect frame a really great shot you know, similar scenario you know at the seaside watching waves break over kind of a, a rocks and and appear thinking oh well, if i get that at the right time it's going to look fantastic and managing to miss it a couple of times and they're caught thinking should just be using uh, video and then getting it out with lumia moments and, and the point is of course you can do that manually you can go back to a pc or as you say the third party software for most of the platforms that d- does this but having it integrated into the workflow and having yeah. it work seem- and just be very easy to use does make it an enormous difference and of course it makes it much more accessible for everyone else and so uh, i think I'd, I'd love to hear from other people if they've had uh, you know good photos that they weren't able to capture otherwise a bit of a revelation for me in some ways you know, I, I've heard Steve talk about it, but actually, again, when you, you try it in practice yourself and you suddenly go, it, it's easy to capture, capture those moments that otherwise you just wouldn't quite manage. And so it, 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 so it's about actually the ability to capture that right picture, not just technically, theoretically be able to do it. And so uh, it, it's probably my favorite edition um, out of all the things that got announced in that kind of update for, for the camera. You know, there is the capture mode, which is very impressive. You can get some great results out of that. But actually just in terms of photos that have ed- ended up being tagged as favourites and that sitting in my uh, Windows Phone photos application under that favourites pivot, uh, a lot of them have actually come from that uh, Lumia Moments capture. Yeah, absolutely. I've got some amazing shots of my uh, five-year-old niece playing in a sand pit. And as she's just, she was just... Digging her hands into the sand and then flicking the sand up in the air. Nothing special about that. You might try and grab it as a still and you might get lucky. Very unlikely, but you might. But I just took some 4K video in a burst and I got some astonishing shots with her hand in the air and the sand in the air. And you can see the imprints of the five fingers actually in the trails of sand flying up through the air and in a graceful arc all in one shot. Now, I'm hoping to include that in a tutorial in the site in the next couple of days. So I think it's just worth highlighting. We've banged on enough about it on the podcast, but I don't think we've perhaps made enough of Lumia moments and what you can do with it um, on the site. So I'm going to try and find some of my best examples. I'll, I'll protect privacy when possible, but uh, uh, just to show people what can be done. And maybe you could uh, just email me a few of your wave and uh, examples you've just mentioned, Ray, yeah, and I can I, use those as well. Uh, I think that's right. I think Steve and I are now going to geek out tonight seeing out competing who's got the better Lumia moments picture. <laughs> I know already that Steve's going to win, so but I, I will, will send over the wave picture, which I was particularly proud of. 
Okay, and uh, a couple of things before we finish. Um, one is to say that there is a new version of Dropbox Windows Phone out. Version 2 came out a couple of hours before we started recording this, and I shall write it up tomorrow. This is all around the rest of the world. It's a version 2. It's a universal app. Also works on your Windows 8.1 and your Windows 10 PCs. So it's uh, well worth looking at that, and uh, I'll do a bit of a write-up. Um, second is to mention that I'm actually traveling a lot of next week, Rafe. So as with this, pr- this, this podcast being 10 days on from the previous one, there is a chance that it may be two weeks before the next one. But, of course, if something really important happens between now and next Tuesday, we'll try and get you on, uh, on schedule. Otherwise, uh, we may just slip until the following week and you'll have another fortnight. But you have had a good 53 and a half minutes, by my count, Rafe, uh, listeners out there on this particular podcast. You've got your money's worth. Yeah, indeed. It's been a, a bumper edition. As he says, if something really exciting happens, I'll, I'll call up Steve. And if he doesn't answer, I'll talk to myself for 40 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I won't subject everybody to that, but uh, we'll certainly be back in two weeks' time, and hopefully we'll try and squeeze in a short one sometime next week in between uh, Steve's jet-set li- jet lifestyle. Hardly jet-setting, but let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll catch, catch you next week or the week after, who knows, and do see all about windowsphone.com, where all the good stuff will carry on churning out. Bye for now.